0: Well, I'm so incredibly grateful to Claire and to Andrew for leading our worship live this morning. I can tell you it's a brave thing to do uh, and no easy task. And we're just so grateful. What a brilliant song, When the Holy Spirit Moves, things begin to happen, change begins to happen in our lives and in our situations. Well, I want to encourage you to know that we are making all sorts of technical changes at the moment here in the church, preparing ready for when we're able to open up our main church building again so that we can gather together in larger numbers. Of course, all of that is dependent upon what the government decide in terms of future restrictions, but please know we're doing everything we can do to make sure that we can continue gathering both physically, but like this online, as well as we move forward. Uh, It's demanding quite a lot of change and quite a lot of technical updates. So uh, we'll keep you posted along the way, but really looking forward to that opportunity coming to us very soon. Well, for those of you I don't know, my name's Chris Brockway. I have the real joy of being involved in the leadership of the church here at CBC, and also the privilege on this Pentecost Sunday uh, to open up God's Word as we continue in our little series about the Holy Spirit, person presence and power. And I guess today we get to the power uh, topic this morning. Well, I wonder if you had just one minute, one minute to tell somebody, a church leader perhaps, or a group of people in a church, how to make their church healthy and spiritually vibrant. I wonder what you would say to them in that one minute. What kind of issues would you start to address? What would you say to them? This is what you need to change and this is what you need to keep what would you tell them they needed to be doing? Well, one minute is approximately how long it takes the Apostle Paul in our scripture reading this morning to speak to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter five, to tell them exactly that, how to be spiritually vibrant and how to be healthy as a church community. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter five? We're gonna read from verses 15 through to 21 this morning. Paul says this, be very Careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, in the first half of Ephesians chapter 5, if you know the context, Paul has been challenging the church there against behaviours that would be described as being destructive to our spiritual well-being. He lists a few of them. He speaks about sexual immorality. He speaks about greed, about any kind of impurity. He speaks about obscenity and foolish talk and coarse joking. But he doesn't only tell us what not to do in Ephesians chapter 5. He goes on to tell us what we can and we must do in order to feel fully satisfied and fulfilled in our relationship with Christ. In other words, he tells us how to be spiritually healthy and vibrant. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, healthy churches, even healthy Christians, are those who can find God, who can hear God, who can grow in God, who can develop rich relationships with other people and be encouraged, not with superficial platitudes and with religion, but instead with love and with reality. In our text today, Paul says that those kinds of churches don't just happen by accident. There are certain principles, there are certain attitudes that we must live by if we're going to foster this long-term health and long-term spiritual vitality. And he says in verse 18, that all begins by being filled with the Spirit or by being Spirit-filled. Now, this idea of being full of something, even if it might seem initially somewhat abstract to our human minds, actually isn't an alien concept to us. As you reflect back on your own life for a moment, can you think of a time, maybe this is you right now, when you're full of pain? Or maybe you can think of a time when you're full of love or full of joy. Maybe even there have been moments in your life when you found yourself full of anger, As you look around, you'll see people who are full of faith. You'll see people who are full of good works and you'll discover too some people who are full of mischief. We understand these kind of concepts, don't we? We know when we've got it and we know when we've lost it. Are you filled with the Spirit? That's Paul's question for us this morning. Now, being filled with the Spirit is very much like being filled with anything else. If we're filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit will command our attention. He will consume our time. He will be our priority. He will even control our lives. When you're filled with the Spirit right up to the brim, then you'll be full of faith. And as a consequence, you'll do good works as a byproduct of that faith, not in spite of that faith. When you're full of the Spirit, then he'll saturate your life with love and joy and patience, with peace, with kindness, with goodness, with faithfulness, with gentleness, and with self-control. All of those good things that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, as the fruit of the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, you just know when you've got him, but you know too when you've lost him or at least perhaps considerably leaked him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, do not get drunk on wine. Now, Paul could have said beer or any other form of alcohol there as well, but he spoke about wine. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, those of you who have been Christians for about as long as I have been or even longer will remember a time when being filled with the Spirit was what everyone was talking about. Preachers spoke about it, Bible study leaders taught about it and countless books were were written about this theme and this subject. But I've discovered something as I chat to different Christians around, depending on their experience, some are fearful of this idea of being filled with the Spirit. They feel it's scary or maybe they find this to be strange or even abnormal to be filled with the Spirit. But Paul in our text this morning seems to be saying to us, no, that shouldn't be the case, not here in the church, which by the way is God's brilliant idea, the church. We ought not think of such feeling as being abnormal, but in truth, it's perfectly normal for the Christian to be filled with the Spirit. The church, we could say, is a community of the Spirit. So to not be filled by the Spirit is to be living the abnormal Christian life, not the normal Christian life. In our scripture reading this morning, I think we see at least four things. And because I'm a good Baptist, they all begin with C for you this morning. First, we see the caution. Secondly, we see the contrast. Thirdly, we see the command. And then fourthly, we see the consequences of being filled with the Spirit. Now, the caution comes to us in verses 15 to 17. And this is the shortest sermon point you're ever going to hear from me. Paul says there, be very careful, live wisely, do not be foolish, but instead understand the Lord's will. So Paul's first point, be very careful. But then he goes on to explain in the next three Cs why we should be careful or how we can be careful. And the first of those Cs is the word contrast. Now the contrast is found in the first half of verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, on the surface, this seems like quite a bizarre contrast, doesn't it? As if these were the only two options that Paul had available to him, either to be filled with the Spirit or to be completely off our faces on alcohol. But in ancient religions, this contrast would have made perfect sense to the people listening. And Paul makes this contrast between being full of the Spirit and being full of alcohol very deliberately. Because at the time, there was this common misconception that communion with deities could be induced by drunkenness. In a sense, these people used to go towards purposeful drunkenness in order to take them to a state where they could meet with their gods. Now, unfortunately, they carried it way beyond even that. They went to the nth degree and it would sometimes lead them to orgies and to prostitution, into gluttony and into all sorts of other unimaginable, unimaginable carnal stimulations. And all this, they believe, would lead them into contact or into relationship with the gods that they'd come to follow. Now, they're not too far away, are they, from the reality of old Timothy Leary, who, if you remember back in the 60s, thought that through psychedelic drugs like LSD, you could be catapulted out of this world and into the supernatural. So in a sense, this morning, Paul is just speaking into that deception, which has been a deception for all of time. And he speaks about it here in our text, not with drugs, but with alcohol. But Paul is saying so clearly here, in contrast to that, Christians meet with the living God. They worship God, they enjoy God, they love God, and they serve God, not by being drunk. But they serve God, commune with God, experience God by being filled with the Spirit, and then being carried along with the power of God's Spirit, not by alcohol and certainly not by drugs. Now, all of this is such helpful context, isn't it? To those words that we heard from Dave and Michelle at the very beginning of our service in Acts chapter 2. It's no wonder, is it, that given that context, the onlookers on the first day of Pentecost looked on and reacted as they did. All the disciples are gathered, the Holy Spirit comes, and this group of people are suddenly filled with the Spirit. And they begin to speak in other languages of all the incredible things that God has been doing. And what did people say about them? Their first reaction, it's early in the morning, it's only nine o'clock. Why are they what? Why are they drunk was the question that was being asked. Because the onlookers simply had assumed that they were drunk because that was the pagan way of connecting with God. Those whom Paul was writing to was very used to seeing these kind of drunken frenzies that were associated with religion. But Paul says, by contrast, don't commune with God in that kind of a way. Don't bring in any other stimulation to substitute being filled with the Spirit. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need God to saturate our beings with his love and with his peace and with his very self. Now, I know for sure from my own life that when I'm not filled with the spirit or I've lost the spirit, somehow I've leaked the spirit considerably, I know it leaves an emotional vacuum in my life. And it's in those moments that I'm most susceptible to temptation. So how do we deal with temptation? How do we avoid getting sucked into temptation? Well, we simply pray to God, God, fill me with your spirit and keep me full up. The presence of God by his Spirit is the greatest remedy that there is to all temptation. So that's our second C, the contrast. And it's a contrast that's born out of all that was going on in religion at that time. Let's go to our third C, and we find this in the second half of verse 18. And it's a command. And the command is a very simple command. We saw the contrast, don't be drunk with wine because that leads to debauchery and the command follows on from that is to be filled with the Spirit. Now we, don't we, we know, don't we, that every single follower of Jesus Christ on the day they commit their life to Christ receives the Holy Spirit. That's a fact. If you've come into a relationship with Jesus, you have received his Spirit, at least the seed of his Spirit. The very moment you trusted Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you receive what Paul describes earlier on in Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 14, as the deposit that guarantees your inheritance. What an amazing thought that you received the Spirit of God into your life, and that deposit guarantees your inheritance into all that God has promised for you. What we're commanded to do here in Ephesians chapter 5 is to be being continuously filled with the Spirit. Now, that sounds like a really clunky sentence, but it's deliberate. We're commanded to be being continuously filled with the Spirit. Well, let me give you a quick lesson in Greek for just a moment. The the Greek word that's translated as be filled is the word plerou. Now, very clever people who study these things will tell you that this word plerou is the present plural passive imperative form. Now, that's not easy to say the present plural passive imperative form. And that's significant. Let me try and explain why. So the imperative bit means that this is a command. The imperative means be this. This is what is expected of you. Through Paul, God isn't just making a suggestion here as an optional extra about being filled with the Spirit. He's inescapably commanding us to be filled with the Holy Spirit we must have this filling in order to truly and fully honour God in our lives. It's the power of the Spirit and it's the fruit of the Spirit and the presence of God that distinguishes us as God's people. So you'll notice here that Paul's command is not try harder in your Christian life or strive more and then your walk will be fine. He's saying be filled with the Spirit. Trying harder and striving more are no substitute for receiving that filling from God. It's the Spirit's influence within us, working in us and through us, that brings victory into our lives and brings, ultimately, transformation. But secondly, this verb, play, reward, to be filled, is also plural. Every believer, without exception, is commanded to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's not just for the elite few who exist on some kind of different spiritual plane to the rest of us, but this command is for every single one of us who would call ourselves Christians. Now, I can tell you on the authority of this scripture verse this morning that God does not want any single one of us this morning to disconnect from this service without being filled or empowered or being refreshed by his spirit. It's for everyone. It's not just for the ones or the twos, but it's plural. It's for every single believer. Well, thirdly, the tense that Paul uses here in this little Greek lesson is the present tense. It's not a one-time thing and then you're done. I speak to quite a few believers who say, well, you know, 12 years ago I was filled by the Spirit and I spoke in tongues. That was 12 years ago. But instead, God is saying to us, not have you been filled by the Spirit, past tense, but are you full of the Spirit right now, present tense? In Acts chapter 2, if you remember the story, Peter was filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We've heard that already, along with all the other disciples. And yet, as you read on into Acts, you discover in Acts chapter 4, just two chapters later, that he prayed and he was filled again. Well, why is that? It's because yesterday's experience in and of itself is not adequate for the challenges of today. Peter needed a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit in his life for the challenge he was about to face, and in order that he would make the best of the opportunities that would lay before him. To do that, he needed to be filled with the Spirit. He needed to stay filled and be continually filled. And that's one reason, isn't it, why we gather together as church on a regular basis, be it physically or even online. We should always come together with the intention of God filling us by his Spirit. Now, of course, that's not something that can only happen within the context of corporate worship, but it's a great place for that to happen in our lives. So I want to suggest to us this morning that we should never be content to leave church or a prayer time or a Bible study or even our own personal devotional time with a sense of emptiness, because if we leave with emptiness, then it's just possible that something's not right and something is wrong. Well, finally, in my mini Greek lesson for this morning, the verb is in the passive voice. In other words, this is something that we can't do. It's something that God has to do in us. We can't make this thing of being filled by the Spirit happen by coercion or manipulation. Now, if you look around, you'll discover there are some churches around the world who are seeking to do this day in, day out, week in, week out. But this is something God has to do within us. And we need to know that he's ready and that he's willing. If we will, he will, is the promise. If we will come and say, Spirit, would you fill me? He will fill us with his Spirit. God wants us to be full of his Spirit. And the good news is that if God wants that to happen and even commands it, then all we have to do is yield ourselves or surrender ourselves to him today, and he will fill us. Now, in the construction of the original language here, verse 18 could have been read this way. Be being kept continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul isn't talking here about some euphoria once upon a time. He's not speaking about something that one day zaps you out of nowhere and then you live happily ever after, but rather he's talking about a constant way of life, a constant ongoing reality of being kept continuously filled by the Spirit. Let me try and give you an analogy which will perhaps be clearer in terms of what I'm trying to say here. The English word filling, we understand, don't we, to have multiple meanings. I could say, well, I'm going to fill something and that could be a static activity. So for example, I could fill a box with goods or I could fill a glass with water. That's a static kind of a filling. It was a one-time act. But Bob, um, Bob, Paul is not speaking about that here. He's not speaking about filling up, but he's speaking about filling through. Can you see the distinction? It's not about filling up, but it's about filling through. The contrast, I guess, would be between filling up a box with things on the one hand versus filling up the sails on a sailboat with wind. And that's a very different kind of reality, isn't it? One is static, the other is dynamic. Being filled up with the the Spirit is the experience of living an entire life where we're literally carried along and moved along by the dynamic presence of God, like the wind filling up the sails of a great big ship. Well, let's get really practical for a moment. This leaves me with a question, how can we know if others and even ourselves are full up with the Spirit? Well, Paul makes it very clear in our text today that there are some things which we will find ourselves doing, and more importantly, being, if we're filled with the Spirit. There will be tangible consequences if we're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, all of this speaks of joy, and this is our first consequence here. We see it in verse 19. The first byproduct, the first result of being filled by the Spirit is singing and making music. Paul says speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Joy is the first result of the Spirit-filled life. James says this, doesn't he, in James chapter 5, verse 13, Is anyone cheerful? Well, let them sing praises. To sing is the natural and immediate response of joy when we find it in our lives. Now, Paul doesn't suggest that we should sing to entertain ourselves or even to fill up time in a, in a church service. But instead, he says, look, our singing is an offering to the Lord. Our singing is a joyous worship that flows from our hearts. I don't know if you spotted this this morning, but take a look at Claire's face as she sings out songs of worship. There's a joy. There's a celebration that flows from our heart and out of her lips. Sing and make melody in your hearts as to the Lord. Spirit-filled worship comes from the heart. When the heart has no joy, then we could say there's no song to sing. Where there is no joy, there is no song. It makes me think of the words in Psalm 137. We, we read the words there that were stolen by Boney M, by the rivers of Babylon. Now, these are the Jews in captivity. There we sat down by the rivers of Babylon and we wept and we hung our harps For there, our captives demanded of us songs, and our tormentors were saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, no songs came out of those beleaguered and heartbroken captives because their heart wasn't filled with joy. They were in a difficult place, there was no song, and no one sings by compulsion. If the heart is not filled with the Spirit, then there is no song. But when the heart is filled with the Spirit of God, then there is a song to sing, a song of joy, and it's a song of freedom. I wonder what it is that you've most missed as a consequence of lockdown. I suspect that quite high up alongside meeting with other people would be the inability to sing songs. To sing a song is a natural response of worship or of joy from our hearts. It's the purest expression, I guess we could say, of spirit-filled joy. But Paul speaks, too, of a second consequence. And this consequence is the consequence of gratitude in verse 20. He says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And I want to encourage you to test this out this week with other followers of Jesus. You can tell a spirit-filled person, because over a coffee or a conversation over the garden fence, their gratitude will pour out of their mouths every now and again uh, about everything, and it will be to do with God. You can see it in their joy, but two, you can see a spirit-filled person in their gratitude. If ever you speak to a person who has no thankfulness in their heart, like Thomas Hardy once said, he, he said he had a friend who could immediately find the manure pile in every beautiful meadow. I wonder if you know anyone like that. They can find the manure pile in every beautiful meadow. Meadow. Spirit-filled people, however, are incessantly thankful. Spirit-filled people have a joy that pours out of their hearts. That's consequence number two. And finally, we discover consequence number three, which comes in verse 21. Now, Paul is speaking about this verse into the context of all sorts of relationships, but he's saying over all relationships, here's the umbrella you should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There will be humility, there will be humble submission. Spirit filled people are humble, they submit, they they don't always have their own agenda on the table, they don't want to dominate everything. Spirit-filled people who are humble will step aside and eagerly give way to other people. Well, Paul goes on to unpack what that, lo- <coughs> excuse me, what that life of humble submission looks like from verse 22 and on into chapter 6. And there he speaks of marriage and child and parent relationships and employer relationships. And he's essentially saying over all of those relationships, be spirit-filled. And a sign of your being spirit-filled will be humble submission in those relationships. Spirit-filled people are full of joy. Spirit-filled people are thankful people. Spirit-filled people are humble people. And here this morning on this Pentecost Sunday, I just really sense that we have a choice. Our choice is that we can live life seeking to control our own lives, doing it all in our own strength with us being the boss Or instead, we can yield to the Holy Spirit. We can allow him to continually and constantly saturate our lives by being filled and continuously filled by his Spirit. I wonder this morning, if I ask you this question, how do you respond? Who is the boss of your life today? You see, if we're a Christian, the boss should be Jesus. And he's given to us this amazing gift of his Holy Spirit that he poured out in a new way on that first Pentecost. And he says to us this morning, here's the gift. Would you receive it? I want just for a few moments to lead us in a time of response. I wonder if you're comfortable to wherever you are right now, and I can't see you, so I won't know if you're doing this, so that's fine. I want to encourage you this morning to think about just standing up. And maybe that standing this morning is just a sign to God, an act before God that you're not going to sit on the sofa when it comes to living out your Christian faith. You're not just going to be a spectator, but instead in our standing up, we're saying this morning, I'm a participator in the things that God is doing. And then can I encourage you this morning to hold out your hands. Do you know you can't receive a gift from somebody if you approach that person with fists presented to them. God this morning gives us the gift of his spirit and simply says, hold out your hands and receive. I encourage you this morning, receive from the Holy Spirit what he wants to give to you. For some of us this morning, the first and the most important thing is that this morning you'll recognize afresh what we spoke about on our first Sunday morning, that the Holy Spirit is a person and a person longs to be in relationship. He longs to be in relationship with you this morning. Would you receive the gift that God loves to give of his relationship with you? Holy Spirit, we receive from you this morning that gift of relationship. But to this morning, God, the theme of our second week just loves to be present with you. Our God is God, Emmanuel, God with you. And let me remind you this morning, if you've trusted your life to Jesus Christ, then you have received the gift of God's Spirit in your life. And I guess our challenge this morning as we receive from God is to allow that that gift to grow. To be even fuller now than we were when we began this time of worship this morning. For some of us today, God's priority for us is about the fruit of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. All those good gifts that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. Like all fruits, these are nurtured over time. And Lord, we simply want to pray this morning, would you grow these fruits in our lives? We affirm this morning, Lord Jesus, that we can't do this on our own. That Lord, for these fruit to grow, we need your equipping, we need your filling. Come Holy Spirit, come. We pray a brave prayer this morning, which is, Lord, do the work in our lives that needs to be done so that if we're loving, we'll become even more loving. If we've experienced joy, we'll be even more joyful. That, Lord, if we're already patient, then we'll become even more patient. Holy Spirit, come, do your work. But maybe for you today, if You've honoured already that the Holy Spirit is a person and you've come into relationship with him. But if you already know his presence in your life, then just maybe for you, today is the day to step out with some of the spiritual gifts that God loves to give. Lord, this morning, I pray over my brothers and sisters in Christ that, Lord, where they lack faith, they would have faith. Would you give that gift, I pray, in abundance. Lord, would you give to my brothers and sisters in Christ the gifts that you long for them to have, the gift of evangelism. Would you release, I pray even this morning, some gifted evangelists into the world that the world would know this amazing gospel that we've come to know and love. Lord, maybe for others of us, it's the gift of administration that we can use in your service. word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Maybe today, Lord, you're challenging some of us to exercise the gifts of going and praying for someone that we would see healing or we would see a miracle worked out in their life. Lord, prompt us. Prompt us until we move and in obedience we go and pray. Lord, you say in your word too that we should eagerly pursue the gift of prophecy. Lord, would you pour this gift into your church? We long to be a prophetic church, a prophetic voice into the world that speaks of Jesus, even by our very presence, even by the way we live our lives. But Lord, we pray too, even with words. Lord, although this thought might be alien to some of us, Lord, you love to give as well as you did on that first day of Pentecost. The gift of being able to speak in another tongue so that we can worship you, we can praise you. Lord, we open ourselves up to you giving that gift this morning. And of course, Lord, if that gift's going to be exercised, especially in the body of the church, we need the gift of interpretation. Maybe that gift is for some of us this morning. hospitality, leadership, acts of mercy, acts of serving, the ability to teach. Lord, thank you that you are the great gift giver. We receive whatever it is you, in your wisdom and in your sovereignty, place into our hands today. But Lord, our big cry, our big cry is that we just want more of you, more of you in our lives. sing this song together. Let's sing it as a prayer. More of you, more of you in my life.